It is Monday, March 8th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. I'm going to speak about the weirdness that went on at UFC 259. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that you'll know that I referred to this as um, a fight card that had everything. And it, it might not have had everything, everything. It had plenty, plenty. And so on with this show. I'm going to start talking. Uh, first subject is going to be Dana White. If pre-fight press conference, he mentioned that he was ready to go to Texas because Texas was going to open with no mask mandates. And politically, this is a move, how I see it, this is a move from the governor to get the pressure off of him and put it on the local governments. So he can say, I opened the state, but the local governments, the mayors in those cities, and this is what we heard from White in Houston, I think Dallas, the mayors are not going to open the city. So the play is a cowardly play by the governor to get people off his back so he can say, well, I, I said no mask mandates. They can do what they want. And if they're keeping the mask mandates, well, then that's that's them, that's not me. It's a cowardly move, and I'm glad that no one is going to let Dana White, at this point at least, host a super spreader event because the key thing we I took away from this was that White was ready to move this fight card in a couple days' notice, and he offered no plan as to how they'd do that. So what I take was that he was just going to move this and let all the health and safety issues fall where they may. Or he was going to tell the people under him, we're moving this fight card to Texas. You figure out the, what needs to get done as far as logistics, as far as having a full crowd in an event and making it safe during COVID. Because we heard no plan other than move the event and hold it into in a full full crowd. That's not a plan. That's not anything that's stupid. It's a knee-jerk reaction. And it's kind of the same move that the governor of Texas made in that, well, I'm ready to go, but these people aren't. But is White ready to go? Because he can't have an event in the apex without people getting tested positive for COVID. Now, we didn't hear anything about any fighters or, or anyone in uh, a fighter's camp testing positive during UFC 259, but I would think that the majority of the cards before 259 at the Apex, we've had at least one person test positive, reported test positive. And I know that Fight Island is different, but we should also take into account that Fight Island is different because the government of Abu Dhabi is handling all the testing protocol. So my take is that the UFC is not ready for this and it's just bluster. I think White knew that this wasn't going to work in a couple days. You don't go from hosting a, a small percentage of fans into a arena to hosting a full arena in a matter of days. The logistics aren't worked out, but it makes White look good. It makes him look like he's you know, got quote-unquote balls and is ready to move. Big picture, if the UFC is responsible for its own safety and protocols 
for these these events, not going to happen, nor should it happen, because they've not shown us, they've not proven that they can, that the UFC can hold an event or a string of events safely, not even under a quote-unquote bubble. When you bring in a full crowd, you're just opening yourself up to a super spreader event. And we know White doesn't really care about that, but at least some other people do, and they will prevent him from you know, infecting their city and state. Another thing White brought up, and this was at the post-fight press conference, was the scoring. He went on a mini rant about the scoring. It was silly, and most of all, it was wrong. So what he said was, when I came up in the fight business, a 10-8 round was an ass-whooping. You got your ass whooped. You didn't do shit in that round and got beat down if it was 10-8. They got to stop this 10-8 shit is out of control right now. So hopefully we can get this fixed. They're going to screw up a lot of fights if they're handing out 10-8s like that. There was no 10-8 in that fight. Speaking of the main event, this is... I think we can all agree, and I'm not defending Israel Adesanya here. That fight wasn't 4-1. to one. That's batshit nuts. If anyone watches that fight and thinks that fight is 4-1, you're nuts. It wasn't even... It wasn't... It was even going into that last round, and Israel was winning the first half of the round. Then Jan took him down and won the fight in the second half of the round. The only thing that makes that fight 4-1 a ridiculous 10-8 rounds. Who in this room thinks the fight was 4-1? Anybody tell me if you do. No, not one person in here. People who watch fights every fucking weekend think that was 4-1. It's a big problem right now with judging that needs to be fixed. So he went on this and twice, and somebody finally corrected him that... Times have changed since White came up. In 2017, which is four, four years ago, so it's been almost four years that the scoring rules have changed. When White came up, yeah, an ass whooping was 10-8. It's not anymore. White seems to still think the old rules of scoring apply. And if you have the president of a promotion not understanding the scoring, what do you think is going to happen to the fans, and now the judges are going to feel this pressure, and that's uncalled for. White was 100% wrong here. You can say you don't like the scores, but you can't say that the scoring criteria is wrong when you don't understand the scoring criteria. And White showed that he does not understand the scoring criteria of today's MMA. You don't have to like it, but them's the rules. And I think that the new scoring is much more effective. I still think there's issues with it. I think a the way the things are written, I think a 10-9 round has a much bigger gap in it than a 10-8, and I don't think that should be. You can have a wide margin 10-9. You cannot have a wide margin 10-8. You cannot have a wide margin 10-7. There's still room for improvement in that 10-9 area, and White wants to make that even wider. Not smaller, wider. And I don't agree with that. We need a little more nuance in this scoring and not some Neanderthalic. you got to be almost dead before you get a 10-8. That's not how it is. That's not how it is. The fighting's progressed and the scoring's progressed. Dana White has not progressed. Uh, so he needs to get a better grip on the, on the judging. Maybe Dana White needs to sit in with uh, one of the one of the scoring classes that, go, that goes on. Maybe he needs to score a fight along with these these folks when they have one of the, the meetings of an athletic commission. I've sat on a couple of them. They're interesting, 
and when the scores come in, when people do the scoring on these things, and there's discrepancies among the people, and these have judges and referees in them, and when the scoring comes in and it's different, everyone talks about what they thought and why, why the scoring was that way. Maybe Dana White needs to sit in on that. Maybe Dana White needs to score some fights other than, you know, sitting on his cell phone or talking to whoever's sitting next to him while the fight's going on. You can't be distracted with a thousand different things while you're scoring a fight. And we know White, if we've seen him in the background of these fights, is he watching the fight the, the whole time it's going on? If if ever, rarely. And if if he is, he's also not by himself for the most part. So Dana White was 100% wrong on this. He showed that he does not understand the scoring as it is today. And he sent a message out to everyone that listens to him that he's right and the judges are wrong. That's not the case here. Uh, I would encourage Dana White to sit in with the athletic commissions and actually get an understanding of the scoring and actually score some fights in these meetings so he knows what he's talking about. He didn't know what he was talking about in this case. He was embarrassing to see. And when someone did correct him, and I don't know who corrected him and told him about the criteria, but someone did. It was at the at the end of the press conference. He kind of, I think he said, well, they're getting bad information. They're not. They're getting the right information because that's their jobs. Dana White is spreading disinformation here. He doesn't understand the scoring, so he makes uh, makes these these bold statements that he's right and everyone else is wrong. Not the case. Dana White was wrong to say anything about the scoring because he does not understand the scoring of today's MMA. That's the end of that story. That's just how it is. On to the fights and the weirdness. Uh, Trevin Jones lost his first round to Mario Batista, but then he came back with that shovel hook and knocked him out. Beautiful punch. No question about the stoppage, even though Batista was you know, just laying there and looked like he could have got up, but he didn't argue it because he knew that he was done. Um, what 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 impressed me here is Jones has said his past five fights were all on 20 days notice or less, and that was the reason that he didn't get down or upset after he lost the first round. He compartmentalized that and put it behind him very quickly. Now, it's not ideal that you're taking five fights all on 20 days or less notice, but it's going to, uh, that is going to allow you to bounce back quickly, and that's what Jones took away from that those rushed fights. Hopefully he'll get full camps. He got a full camp in this one, and we saw what he did. Uh, impressive performance. I like the way he talked after the fight and saying that this is that's why he didn't get upset, and he just reset in between rounds, which sounds like everyone should do, but we know that not everyone can do. Trevin Jones so showed that he... He is fully capable of doing that. Second fight, Urash Medic, and I hope I'm getting that name right. Uh, dropped a long cruise at 418 of the first round and then just proceeded to uh, beat him down. Five seconds after he dropped Cruz, uh, Rogan and Cormier started uh, crying out that the fight should be stopped by the referee. And the referee in this one was Mark Smith. Smith let the fight go on much, 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 much longer than... than Cruz, I mean, sorry, Cormier and Rogan were commenting about the stoppage. And 
I don't think I saw much intelligent defense in there. I know that Cruz was moving, but I didn't see defense other than covering his head and movement. And it, the fight didn't get stopped until nearly, I think it was a full minute after he first hit the deck. So that was a minute of unanswered, um, unanswered striking. Should it have been stopped earlier? Yeah, I think that one should have been stopped earlier. But Smith... I can understand why he didn't. If you're in the heat of the moment there and you see movement and you have a different um, standard of intelligent defense than someone else might have or from someone else like myself who is removed from that action and seeing it in a bigger uh, bigger picture, then then maybe what Smith saw was 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 right. Me, what I saw was was an excessive punishment that didn't need to happen. But again, I'm not there in the moment in the action. Smith is. And so it wasn't, you know, terrible, terrible, but it, it didn't look good. Uh, between the second and third fights, Cormier did a voiceover for the Champ Champ fight, and the sound quality was awful. It was this type of sound quality you wouldn't even have on a podcast. It was just terrible. It sounded like it was on an, a phone. And back in the 80s and 90s, you would get these suction cup things and plug them into cassette recorders, and then you could record um, conversations on the phone. That's what it sounded like. It was terrible, terrible quality. No one should have allowed that to air, but it did. And I, I don't understand why. It sounded like he, and someone commented this on, on Twitter, and I kind of agree with it, that he just kind of pulled over in his car and did it. It was it was bad. It was really bad, and it was unprofessional as all get out. If you were looking for a voiceover job, and someone delivered that to you, you would not pay for it. But it was put out on a pay per view broadcast, and it was terrible. Uh, Jason Herzog stopped the Amanda Amanda Lemos fight. Um, Lemos was putting a beating on her opponent, and I think this was a good stoppage. I saw some people say it might have been early. Because the second knockdown happened and, and Herzog stepped in pretty quickly before Lamosh could throw any more damage on her opponent. But I think what Herzog saw was the first knockdown and the second knockdown and things were not going to change. And if he allowed the fight to go on, he had seen enough. One of the better referees uh, right now, um, he stopped it. There was no argument. And if there's not an argument, then... I'm never going to say a stoppage was early if if the fighter that was on the receiving end of that stoppage says doesn't doesn't uh, give the old uh, WTF test. That didn't happen in this case, so I think the stoppage was right. And Herzog, I think he had his reasons to call it when he did and how he did. Um, Tim Elliott and Jordan Espinoza. The thing about this was the conversation that they had. Um, against the cage, and I forget what round, I think it might have been the second round, where uh, Elliot said that he had knew, or he had had information that Espinosa was a woman beater, and Espinosa answered that, this is all during the fight, by the way, Espinosa re re replied that he didn't, that Elliot didn't know what he was talking about, um, Elliot brought it up afterwards, said he, he didn't want it to get caught on the microphones, but I, I don't, if you don't want it to get caught on microphones, you don't bring it up on during the fight, especially when there's no crowds. So 
that sounds like a kind of an excuse from Elliot, which, you know, you kind of have to say when that thing, when things get caught like that. Um, Bloody Elbow has a story on this, and um, Amy from Fansighted has a, um, a screen print that shows up in that story, and you can check that all out. It sounds like, at the very least, the UFC should investigate these things, this thing, and see if there's any truth to it. Doesn't sound like there's a police report, but it does sound like, at the very least, something happened. And if that's the case, then an investigation should happen into what went down. And um, if Espinosa gets investigated and finds out, and we find out this is true, I don't know what can be done. Because the UFC has not been very good on domestic violence. In fact, they've been terrible. And so, but there's a accusation out there about this. And ignoring it is not going to make it go away. So, the UFC should investigate this. And if Espinoza is found out to be guilty of what was alleged or reported. Well then, the UFC should deal with Espinosa as, as he should be dealt with. Um, and if Elliot is going on incorrect information, then I believe Elliot should also face repercussions. It's not, you know, you don't want to be accused of things you're not guilty of, but this, but by the same token, if someone is guilty of something, you do want to have um, some kind of repercussions for those. So it's a weird thing, and uh, it's not something that should be ignored. Kai Kara France, um, was on the receiving end of three, over three minutes of ground control time. And when he stood up to separate from his opponent, there was uh, 23 seconds left in the round. And then he scored a what looked like a walk-off knockout because he knocked his opponent down face first, raised his hand, ran around the cage, came to the corner where his coach, Eugene Behrman, was. Behrman noticed correctly that uh, Herb Dean had not waved off the fight. And that's when Cara France went in and at least made the motions that he was going to land some ground strikes before Dean stopped him. That made his opponent mad. Um, and I, this information on the the corner came from uh, John McCarthy's Weighing In podcast. And it was very weird. Rogan and Cormier did not go know what was going on. Um, McCarthy said that this is the reason that no one knew what was going on. There was so much confusion was the fact that Dean never officially waved off the fight, which is true. He didn't do the uh, waving hand, hands in the air motion that we've become accustomed to. And I don't know why. And McCarthy said that 100% he should have because that is the clear signal that the fight is over. And that's you, Behrman not seeing that was correct to tell uh, Cara France to do what he did. Was it a little weird? Sure. But Behrman knows the rules and... Uh, the things that go into waving off a fight, and Dean never waved off the fight. And so that's why all the confusion came apart. Um, McCarthy said that, I believe he said that Dean was in the air by in air by not waving it off, and I agree. Had that been waved off, and it should have been waved off, and maybe Dean just assumed that with Kyra France going around the cage and Dean not telling him to go back in and he had not waved it off, that that was enough. Clearly, it wasn't. Um, it was not a great moment for Herb Dean, and it was a very weird thing to the way the fight ended. But the 
it all goes back to the, it all boils down to Dean not doing the wave off signal, which we've all become accustomed to. Another thing that I noticed about this fight that was kind of funny, and someone I didn't even actually notice this until I rewatched it to today. Um, after the fight, during Cara France's um, interview with Joe Rogan, he called his newborn son "bro," and I think he, I think it was saying something like "I love you, bro." And the kid's ten months old, which it, hearing it, seeing that someone tweeted it to me, and then hearing it, it it, it made me laugh because ten months old and you bro and your kid. So it was funny to me. Another thing that was funny, but just weird funny, it was that both fighters were ranked number eight before the fight, which seems strange to me that you would have two fighters ranked the same in the own in the UFC's own official rankings. You think they could have maybe corrected that or um, made some kind of fix and one was eight and one was nine, but we didn't have that. Instead, we had two fighters ranked number eight. And I checked it today, and it is still that way, which is very, very strange and makes zero sense. Um, it was after this fight where, actually, we were in the first round of the Kyler Phillips and Son Young Dong fight, which was a fantastic fight, entertaining as all get out, that Dan Daniel Cormier noticed that the DraftKings clock was uh, around the octagon, which the UFC sent a press release out about this. And I, I'd have to think that they'd want their uh, commentators to at least know about it, if not talk about it during the event. But Cormier said something to the effect of, where is this clock you guys been talking about? Which is kind of a shock and probably not what the UFC wanted to have on their broadcast. But it was there. And according to the, the information that this deal is worth millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from maybe hundreds of millions. I forget. It was worth millions of dollars from DraftKings, so they probably wanted a little better um, notice and recognition of the clock than someone not knowing anything about it and asking about it, which is what happened with, with Cormier here. Uh, i got to give some props to the graphics team during the Phillips and Yudong fight because in the minute between the first and second round, the lower third where the, where the fighters' names are and their, and their, and their trunk colors, it went from saying Yadong and Phillips to saying Song and Phillips. And that happened in 60 seconds between the first and second rounds. I don't know why, but it did. It didn't stop the commentators from using Yadong. But the UFC made the change. No one really mentioned it other than social media. And it happened between the first and second round. Just, it was weird, weird. Um, Dominic Cruz called out the Hans Molenkamp, who I guess works for Monster. That was a very strange call out. And here's what Cruz had to say after the event. He'll probably love that he's getting plugged like this, to be honest, so it's actually a benefit for him. So he should thank me. It was just that we're in a day and age where you can, if I take a picture with Conor McGregor like this, now I'm Conor McGregor's friend, right? If I take a picture with Dominic Cruz and have him commenting on my page, we're in a day and age where that looks like we're friends. Well, I may be your friend, but you can't use me in order to get clout. As they put it, I'm not here to be used. Um, and then someone said something about possibly being trapped in a contract with Mullenkamp and Monster. And he said, I'm, it's not trapped in a contract. It's forced to give him clout, forced to hype him up if I want to make money. Monster pays me, so the equivalent would be, does the UFC pay me? Yes. Does Dana White own the UFC? Yes. So if Dana White says, hey, go on my page and like my page, 
Dana Waite has gone on this man's page and said something. They ignored it like that. It didn't happen. So I'm not the first one to say something. Dana's also said something. Maybe ask him about it. So it sounds like what what um, Cruz's beef is is that Mullenkamp, who is a representative from what I understand of Monster and works with Monster and the UFC, is quote unquote forcing these fighters to go to his social media pages and give his um, posts a bump up and some cred with their, by putting their names and their likes and their their um, comments on those pages. And I guess the implication here is that he is threatening, somehow threatening the UFC fighters to withhold something if they don't do so. And that's all, that's what I'm garnering from this. And if that's the case, then I would expect Monster to make some kind of statement about this. There's been nothing so far. Camp's not made a statement, at least on uh, social media, and I didn't see anything on any sites. So it's a very weird thing, and um, I don't understand it fully. I hope Cruz is getting all his money. It sounds like he is. So I guess he's just annoyed that there's kind of these threats or implications that there could be something if these fighters don't play ball with Mullenkamp. Um, Dana White said that Monster's been good to the UFC, which of course he'll say that because they're one of the major sponsors, and as long as Dana White's check clears, we know he doesn't really care about anyone else's checks. Um, and then he said Monster can run their business as they want. But he also said that uh, having a sponsorship is a luxury. It's not something that's guaranteed to somebody. But from what Cruz is saying here is that he has a deal with Monster. And if he has a deal with Monster, well then, yeah, that money is guaranteed to him because it's in his contract. And so to say that it's a, a luxury or, or something like that, White's correct in that. It is kind of a luxury to get a big-name sponsor. But you're also, once you have that sponsor and are signed with that sponsor and have a contract with that sponsor, that's your guarantee that you're going to get paid. So once you're under contract, yeah. They have to pay you. And it's no longer a luxury then. Then it's a law. A contract will stand in a court of law. So White's kind of right here, but he's also 100% wrong um, in that if you have a contract with that sponsor, they have to pay you. If you do everything that's in that contract, they have to pay you. And if it says that in that contract, if it says that you have to support this guy's social media pages, well, then you missed that. And also, that's kind of crooked. And if that's not in the contract, then this Camp is out of line by even suggesting this. So it's very interesting. I'd be uh, curious to hear more details on all of this. But from where I sit, it sounds like Donovan Cruz is fed up with uh, playing games with um, Mr. Camp. But again, this is one-sided and a lot of uh, guessing so we'll see if we get a response from anybody. Um, Islam Makachev was damn impressive. Um, just a, a monster there. Um, and something I noticed that he was given credit for uh, the, the fight being stopped by an arm triangle choke. But if you watch that fight, I think the he had while he had the a choke in, I think he won the fight just by shoulder pressure to the to the neck of his opponent, um, which 
and he was in a half guard at the time too. So um, uh, listening to Josh Thompson talk about this guy, he said he's the strongest person he's ever competed against in any sport. Um, and let's not forget that Thompson trains at AKA. So that's a big group, a big group of uh, pretty impressive fighters. Um, so I think the UFC, if I was Dana White, since this guy is the hand-picked heir to Habib's throne by Habib, I think they should uh, the UFC should stop bothering Nurmagomedov and maybe focus a little bit more or a lot more on Makachev because even if you get Nurmagomedov back, you're going to get him back for one fight. Makachev is going to be around for a while. And so start pushing this guy. Start giving this guy some attention and some... Uh, some press because from what we've seen and from what we've heard from everyone, he is the future. Nurmagomedov is not, well, maybe not the past. He's at the, at most the present. Look forward. Don't look back. And if Habib's telling you, this is the guy I think is going to hold the title and he's going to hold it for a long time. Well, maybe listen to that and put your focus there. Um, Makachev said that what he thought about the fight was that he didn't want to stand with Dober. He thought he could, but he didn't want to. And this was the quote. And maybe this is, you know, going to be his catchphrase. It's not as short and sweet as smashing him, but or send uh, send location. But what he said was that I chose I chose the easy way: take him down, make him tired, and make him tap, and that's it. And that's what he said after the fight to Joe Rogan, and that's exactly what he did, isn't it? So, very impressive. One other thing to note in this fight, after the fight, I noticed Habib looks a little uh, beefier than he had been. Maybe it's all those free meals that Dana White's flying him into Vegas to have. He's going to have another one this week, so keep an eye on, on Habib's uh, size. As, by, at, at the very least, his arms looked bigger than, than previous, so maybe that's why he's keeping talking to Dana White. Free meals? Free meals in Vegas? He's probably eating well on on Dana White's dime. Uh, Petter Jan. If you rewatch the fight, you can clearly hear Mark Smith. Um, with 40 seconds left in the round, Mark Smith says, grounded. And then he doesn't say anything else. So six seconds after that, Jan lands that illegal knee. Blatantly, 100% illegal knee. And then Smith immediately calls time. Uh, Sterling has not even hit the mat by the time he calls time. And there was some, and I'll just go down through my notes here. There was a weird moment where Daniel Cormier said that in the Anthony Smith-John Jones fight that Smith took the quote-unquote high road and went back to fight. I don't, I think that was an improper statement and Cormier corrected himself later. Um, and asked who is Sterling responsible to in this case. He's not responsible to Jan. He's responsible to himself and his family. So I don't know if somebody corrected Cormier's comment, but um, Smith, there is no high road here. There's no high road. There's no low road. There is what you think. And when Smith took that knee from Jones, he what did, he, what did it get him in the end? He, he didn't win the fight. He didn't get more money. Maybe he got an attaboy from somebody, but he didn't get a rematch. 
and he was probably compromised. So that's not the high road. That's ignoring the rules. I mean, not ignoring the rules, but it's going, uh, you're not taking your option. If you think you're going to be at least a bit, at the very least compromised, you, uh, you say, you know what, I can't continue. And you go on to get a rematch, which is what's probably going to happen here. What I didn't like about all this, other than, other than Cormier's comment there, was how long it took to wave this fight off. There was a lot of conversation between the referee and the doctor and the doctor and the referee and Sterling. So it took nearly three minutes to wave the fight off after the knee happened. And that two minutes and 58 seconds I timed. And the questions were to Sterling about it. I, I think in this case, knowing that the fighters know the rules and if they're cognizant at that moment of what their options are, maybe you take the fighter out of the equation and just call the fight. Because at the very least, at the very least, they're going to be a little compromised or a lot compromised and it's not doing them any favors to allow them to continue if they want to. So maybe the question is, maybe the rules become if a fighter gets hit with an illegal strike, uh, it's the doctor's decision if the fighter continues. I don't know. I, I, th I think you take the fighter out of it, though, because A, it pressures them, because look at all the bullshit that Sterling is getting from the fans and other fighters for doing what was best for him. And he doesn't deserve that. A doctor is there to make the tough calls. Maybe the doctor makes those tough calls. So that's just a suggestion. And I think, but I think that would be better because now the fighters saw what happened to Sterling. Sure, he won, quote unquote, won the title, but he is going to take a bunch of shit from other fighters, from fans, just from every ignoramus that who thinks that he acted. But if he acted, he acted in his own best interest not acted like he was hurt. And his own best interest was, I'm compromised from that illegal blow that I had nothing to do with. And my opponent through that, I am going to not continue and I'm going to get a rematch and I'm going to fight in that rematch at 100%. It was the wise thing to do. It was the right thing to do. Those are the rules. Use the rules to your advantage. That's all he did. One thing I did not like about this was that Rogan has some silly things to say about you shouldn't be able to win a title that way. Um, the rules say you can and will, and to question the rules on the broadcast was probably the wrong thing to do. Um, if you want to question the rules on your podcast, do that, but don't try and shame, and I don't think that was the intent, don't try and shame Sterling or question the rules and make it seem like this is out of the ordinary. The rules are the rules and they were followed. Rogan should not question that. And if he wants to question it, do so off the broadcast. Another thing Rogan did that he should not have done was four times he said that Aljamain Sterling was concussed. And you can, this is the wrong thing to do because we don't know if he was concussed. And I went through a training course on um, how to cover con concussions in the media. And one thing that was said is, you know, you're not a doctor. You can't, you can't diagnose someone as having a concussion, even if you're there. 
you have to say things like he might be concussed. He's probably concussed, but we're going to wait for the doctors to figure it out. And you go from there because you don't know. And as from what we heard, Sterling got cleared at the hospital. So I'm going to believe that cleared is not concussed. Um, so four times Rogan said he's concussed. I counted him. I watched the replay. That happened. Shouldn't have said it one time. Should have said it zero times. Hopefully that can improve. Um, I heard a lot of issues with the commentary in the main event in that the the team was siding without Asanya more than Blockowitz. And I didn't I, I don't really listen to the fights while I'm working them. And so I don't know if that was true. I'm going to assume and since I've heard it, you know, more than once, it was probably true. And this is something that Rogan's really guilty of, and his influence on the other commentators can make this even more noticeable. So I believe it to be true because once Rogan gets on a roll and picks who he's going to side with, which he does, um, then it's hard to get him off of that role even when the fight is clearly going the other way. Uh, I think the fight was closer than than the commentators were making it seem. But I also think that Blakowicz was winning the fight, and he did win. Um, so the commentators truly do influence the fans, and I think they need to be aware of that and try their best not to go in there with some kind of preconceived notion. Um, the other thing that was weird about this was that no one seemed to know how the score came to be 49 to 45 on two of the cards. There's there's only five rounds. And so it's not hard to figure out this kind of scoring. It's not the first time we saw a 49-45 in a fight. And Cormier came out and said, asked if one of the fights was 9-9, one of the rounds was 9-9, which with, without a point deduction, you can't have because it's a 10-point must. So the winner must get 10. You can have a 10-10. But you cannot have a 9-9 without a point deduction somewhere. That didn't happen. And so just to hear the questions of how a 49-45 could happen was kind of weird and kind of unprofessional. But it happened, and it was kind of the closing moments of the fight card. So maybe it was the uh, length of the card? I don't know, but it was truly, truly strange to hear that. And uh, I'm going to close on that. Well... I should, I'll be remiss if I did not praise the fight card. Um, every fight was worth watching, with maybe the exception of the uh, Diago Santos Rockage fight, which was not terrible, but it was um, this, the slowest moving fight on the card. But uh, other than that, 14 entertaining fights. So UFC 259, excellent card. And like I said at the start, it had everything, and if it didn't have everything, it almost had everything. And on that note, I'm going to sign off. Um, if you stuck with me for the entire rant here, I thank you, and uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe. 